Good morning again, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. This is a continuing series called Stories Jesus Told. This is part five. And if you're just joining us, I encourage you to please go by our YouTube channel. Check out parts one through four as we are walking each week through a different parable Jesus told. We're opening up some, some new ideas, new angles, I think, to these parables. People are walking out with a whole different perspective on what Jesus actually said. So hopefully today will be no different. I want you to go along with me for a few minutes, okay? I want you to suspend opinions, judgment, and just play along. I want you to imagine no judgment after this life. What if no matter what you did, no matter what behaviors, actions, choices, sins, none of it, all of it together, none of it, all of it, ever how you want to look at it, would change your status as a child of God. Just imagine that with me for a moment. Imagine a world in which no sins accounted against you and no good deeds brought any rewards. Think through this. What if when you leave today, you board a jet, fly to the Ukraine, and spend the next two weeks feeding, protecting, loving, and serving the war-beaten people, and fly back just in time to make the 11 o'clock service on July 17th, but you are no more righteous than you are right now. Also, imagine leaving here today, getting high, partying all week, sleep with several people, don't imagine it too much, and show up at church next Sunday hungover, wearing the same clothes you had on the night before, smelling of alcohol and stale body odor. And you're no less righteous than you are right now. What if at the end of this life, everybody, Republicans, Democrats, Christians, Muslims, atheists, gay, straight, pro-life, pro-choice, transgender, what if everybody gets in? If you discovered that this were true, how would you live today, tomorrow, this week? What about this? If on the way out today, I gave you 10 business-sized cards representing 10 free sins, your choice, and no matter what, these 10 sins are automatically covered. No consequences, spend them ever how you want, 10 free sins. Here's my question, what would you do? Now, here's why I ask these questions. I know they're somewhat bizarre, somewhat crazy to even think and speculate and imagine, especially in church, you know. Here's why I ask the questions. Our country and the church at large are more divided than I can remember. There is a large group of people, and just follow along, you've got to follow this. There is a large group of people who consider themselves in and consider an even larger group of people out. There is a large group of people who believe they get it, and those people over there do not get it. Those who know the truth and those who ignore the truth. Those who follow what's right and those who follow what they want. Those who know what's best for our country and for the church and those who are bent on destroying both. Now, before we move any further, Here's my question, which category are you in? 
Are you part of the problem with the United States of America? Or are you part of the solution? Are you part of those who cannot see the issues with the church? Or are you part of those who understand the issues and you do your best to help the church thrive? Now here's where it gets complicated. Every person you meet, Republican, Democrat, pro-life, pro-choice, gay, straight, transgender, Pentecostal, Baptist, non-denominational, atheist, reform, you fill in the next blank. Every single person you meet believe they are in the category filled with those who are right for our country and for our church. I doubt you'll meet someone who says, you know, the problem with this country is that there are too many people like me. You will look long and hard before you find someone who ever says, you know, I've thought about all the issues with the church and I figured it out. I'm not stepping up. I've let people carry too much responsibility. It's time for me to do my part. It is time for me to be the example. No, here's, here's what you'll hear. That group of people over there is creating problems in our nation. They should change or leave. Man, why can't they get with the plan? When are they going to start pulling their weight? Why do they have to be so ignorant? Don't they know this is progress? Man, those people are stuck in the past. They want us to live like it's 1950s. God is making a comeback. They better change or else. And if what appears on social media is true, some of quote unquote us would be thrilled if trains filled with a few hundred thousand of them were carted off. And as always, both sides are confident God stands with them. Or if you're not religious, both sides are confident the Constitution is on their side. They are on the side of freedom. And within this debate, there is a lot of conviction and anger and sadness and violence and arguing and crying and shouting and protesting and praying and petitioning and cussing and marching and preaching and chanting and meeting and voting and threatening, yet one feature is difficult to find, humility. And nothing would change the tone of debates and elevate the quality of conversations and strengthen the character of positions better than humility. And we need it to flow from the White House to the church house to my house and probably your house. Now, let's, let's go to Luke 18. And I want to walk through another story. Jesus tells a group of people, now follow me, follow me, convinced that they are what is right with the country and the church. Luke 18, this is what Jesus says. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Well, there it is. Everything I just said put right into that scripture. 
Folks, I'm telling you this, what I'm getting ready to tell you, what I'm getting ready to walk through with you, this is the story Jesus would tell us today. He would gather every church person and every person who quit church in a room and he would tell this story. He would gather every Republican and Democrat and tell this story. He would gather every pro-life person, every pro-choice proponent, and he would tell this story. This is our story because almost every person you meet thinks they are in the right group and it's the other people who are in the wrong group convinced that they were righteous and looked down on other people with disgust. This is our story. Two people, this is Jesus talking, went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the best way to read this, kind of bringing it into our world today, the best way to read this is one is a faithful, honest, hardworking, committed, and respected member of his church and society. The other one is a greedy, inconsistent, selfish, get-rich-quick man of shady character. One is a Democrat and one is a Republican. One is pro-life, one is pro-choice. One is faithfully married, one is an adulterer. One is gun-friendly, one is about gun control. One is health care for all, one is pay your own way. One is an atheist, one is a Catholic. You draw the distinctions ever how you want to, but these two people are on polar opposites. Whatever you want to put in the blank, whatever distinction you want to draw, Hard line distinction, thick wall of separation. They were different from each other in every way imaginable. The Pharisee was devoted. He was faithful. He was disciplined. He was educated. He was moral. He paid his taxes. He paid his tithe. He prayed. He volunteered. He went above and beyond. Not so the tax collector. The tax collector was an agent of Rome. He was presumed to be corrupt, dishonest, and showed no mercy to others. If you just know anything about the tax collectors of that day, they would put surcharges. In fact, if Rome said, hey, you can take 15%, they'd take 20, 25, 30%, and they would pocket the difference between what Rome said and what they wanted to do. They hurt the poor people. They stepped on top of people. They did everything they could to line their pockets. So if one of these tax collectors came into the temple, a lot of the people around would go, whoa, what in the world is he doing here? The Pharisee went to the temple often. So this was no big deal for him. He came all the time. The tax collector would not be expected to be present. They'd have been shocked had the tax collector walked in. Now keep this in mind, keep this in mind as Jesus walks through the story. Here it is, verse 11. The Pharisee Remember, the Pharisee, read it like this, the upstanding, good, moral, faithful soccer coach, kids with scholarships, Christian volunteer, the Pharisee, stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. Now, you got to follow me very closely because this is going to turn this parable just a little bit, okay? 
Here is our first mistake when interpreting and applying this parable. And I've done this over and over when I've taught this in the past, when I read this. We read into this prayer from the Pharisee as the epitome of pride and self-righteousness. In the past, here's how I read what this Pharisee said. Thank you, God, I am holy and pure and unlike this dirty tax collector. But as I studied this parable more deeply, and I read behind a Jewish scholar, these, this interpretation that I just gave you, you know, thank you that I'm so pure and holy and he's so dirty, gives the wrong spin on this prayer. The better way of interpreting this prayer changes the flavor of the entire story. A better way of hearing this prayer would be this, and I'm going to elongate the prayer to kind of give you the flavor of what this guy was actually saying. You're going to see why in just a moment. Basically, here's what he said. God, I thank you. You gave me the strength and ability to live a life of integrity. Thank you for my parents who raised me in church and taught me the right path to take. I have done everything I know to follow you from birth. I've tried to not only do your will, but at times to go above and beyond because I love your law. I delight in doing your will. I fast and I tithe and I trust that you will see me through. Thank you for keeping my feet from falling into sinful traps. And thank you for the walk of faithfulness that I've had for my wife since my youth. Thank you for not allowing me to end up like so many other people in the world who do not know you. Like this man over here, this tax collector, you've taught me well since I was a child. All for your honor and all for your glory. I cannot praise you enough. Now, here's why this is important. We read this prayer that he prays with a particular spin and because we do, we strip it from its shocking nature. And then, because of how we've spun the prayer, we don't look or sound like the Pharisee, so we remove ourselves from the grip of the parable. We interpret the Pharisee as being self-righteous, a jerk, Someone who's arrogant and condescending and cold-hearted, even so much that he would insult the tax collector in the temple. And since we are nowhere near being a jerk like him, we don't think this parable is talking about us. And the trap is set. For in essence, what we are saying is, we read that, we close our Bible, and we say something like this, God, I thank you that I am not like that judgmental Pharisee in that parable. I am kind and compassionate, not unloving like him. And we are caught in the parable from which we are trying to wiggle free. We become the very problem Jesus is highlighting. Hey, this is the later service. I figured you had a lot of coffee and you were awake so you can follow along. Then Jesus continues. You're going to see this. He continues. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Why? Because he knew he didn't deserve to be there. More, more than likely, there were people in the temple that day when he went in there, he had cheated out of money. 
More than likely, there were people in the temple that day who he had beaten down, put a surtax on the tax from Rome, and took so much money, they were hurting, and his pockets were lined, and he knew that he wasn't loved by a lot of the people in the temple that day. So how did he respond? Rather, he struck his chest, and he said, show mercy to me, a sinner. Now, we got to be careful here too. Do not romanticize the sinner. Man, I've heard this parable presented in a way making the sinner sound like, this tax collector sound like his life has turned around. He's had an encounter with God. He's forever changed. He is a born again Christian at this point. Nothing in the story says he's different. That is not even the point of the story. It's possible he's like many of us. Confess when you're guilty. When you're caught, confess, and then go right back to the behavior you were doing that caused you to feel guilty to begin with. Come on, you've seen it in movies, right? You know, the crime boss or the thief or the drug lord goes to the confessional booth with the priest and kind of confesses behind the scenes and then goes right back out on the street and does the same thing he's been doing for years. Yeah, there are people who are like that. I know you have never done something like that. But there are people I've heard in the world who confess and still go back to what they were doing before. Look around. You'll probably find a few of those people sitting right here in this room right now. That's what's probably going on here. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us. All we know is this. Jesus says, I tell you, this person, who? This tax collector, this known sinner, this cheating, greedy, cold-hearted man went down from his home justified rather than the Pharisee. Isn't that clear? Don't you understand everything that's going on in this parable? Doesn't that make a lot of sense? Don't you just, I, I could just say, amen, and you would go out of here, and everything is just crystal clear from this parable. You get it. Come on, don't, don't act as if you know what's happening here, because you don't. Neither do I. Listen, listen very carefully. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. What? This parable. One man, watch this, one man spends his entire life doing what he sincerely believes is what he's supposed to do. Love God, follow the rules, pray, tithe, attend the temple. He is faithful, he's dedicated, he's obedient, exactly like we teach one another to do. Yet in the end, he's not the one justified. How is that possible? L let me make this even more murkier for you, okay? Great, Scott, go ahead, confuse me more. Psalm 1. This is Psalm 1. This is what the Pharisee had studied his whole life. Psalm 1. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing these things or those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction, and they recite God's instruction day and night. They are like a tree replanted by streams of water which bears fruit at just the right time and whose leaves don't fade. Whatever they do succeeds. That's not true for the wicked. 
the, the, the tax collector. That's not true for the wicked. They are like dust that the wind blows away. And that's why the wicked will have no standing in the court of justice. Neither will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of the Pharisee, but the way of the tax collector is destroyed. (laughs) Come on, let's be honest. Psalm 1 sounds a lot like what the Pharisee prayed. I mean, come on, you, you, you don't want your husband, wife, kids, or friends to be greedy, do you? I mean, you don't want them to be selfish. You don't want them to be money hungry. You don't want them to be thieves, do you? I mean, are you saying you don't want your loved ones to come to church, to be generous, to pray, to follow the boundaries of a polite society? And wouldn't you be happy if they did? And wouldn't you probably thank God for it? I mean, haven't you stood in church before and lifted your hands and said, God, thank you that my kids follow you, or thank you that I have a faithful husband or a wife. Thank you that you taught me well since I was a kid. Thank you that I have this church. Thank you that, that, that I've learned to work hard, that I have a job. Thank you that I have food. Thank you that I'm not like a million other people in this world who are lost and broken and hungry and destitute and divorced and having affairs. and all. Thank you, God. Haven't you ever from a humble heart ever said that? The Pharisee says that, and then Jesus says this, and this just is the end of the parable. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Well, okay, hold on a second. So are you saying that being thankful Psalm 1 came to pass in my life is lifting me up? So, so are you saying that being embarrassed over my sin and making myself low that, that's what it means to be elevated by God? So are you saying that it's better to be a lying, cheating, dishonest tax collector who's humble than to be a faithful, respected, disciplined Pharisee who's confident in his religion? I'm confused. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, then you know when it comes to the parables, a little confusion is good. Now, let's see if I can make this clearer and more muddy at the exact same time. Say, Scott, trust me, I have all the confidence in the world that you will do that. (laughs) Two men go into the temple. They are opposite of each other. One chose to live his life for God. One chose to live his life for himself. One has been faithful to his religion from an early age. One is adding religion on later in life. One believes, watch this, he is what's right with the world. One believes he's what's wrong with the world. One goes home justified. One, not so much. And the parable ends. Isn't that clear? Any questions? Okay, Scott, I know what it is. The Pharisee was prideful and the tax collector was humble. Okay, so you're saying that the moral of the story is just be humble about your sin and you'll be fine. 
So know you're a sinner and admit it and all is good. Live any way you want to, do whatever you want, cheat people, lie, make life all about you. But if you are sheepish and apologetic and you say you're sorry, God will look the other way. Is that what you're saying? So, so, so live your life for God, be faithful, give, serve others, study scripture, live disciplined. But if you're too confident in your religion and you carry just a pinch of pride, God will ignore you. Is that what you're saying? Please tell me there is more to this story than that. Please tell me we didn't give our lives and put our trust in a God who turns away from us because we are a little proud of following his ways and overly confident in the promises of his word. There has got to be more going on in this parable than that. All right, remember, parables are designed to make one overall point, one. They are not designed to cover every detail and all the specific truths that go along with them. If you stretch a parable too thin, it breaks. It's created to highlight one truth, one idea. So the story will not answer all your questions, but it will raise one huge issue and deal with it. In fact, sometimes it will answer one question and create four more questions But when you're finished. Sometimes you'll walk away from a parable going, I get it, and now I'm even more confused than I was to begin with. Good. Keep asking those questions. Keep searching. Keep looking. Keep digging. Remember, there is a promise in Scripture that says, you will find me what? When you seek for me with all of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. It's supposed to confuse you. It's supposed to flip you upside down. You are supposed to be looking around when you get in the middle of a parable and you really begin to dig into it. You're supposed to feel as if you're trying to find the bottom of the sea, you know. You're trying to get your sea legs because you're going, wait a minute, everything I thought I understood, maybe I don't understand. Maybe this is an upside down way of living. Maybe I'm not so confident after all. See, we want answers, clarity, boundaries, the truth. Parables are designed to foster dialogue, discussion, challenge, thinking, and give you a truth. When the parable finishes, you should think deeply about what was said, wonder about how to apply it, ask follow-up questions, and leave some things for future discussions. So, Scott, what is the overall point of this parable? One truth, and I hope I drive this home very clearly. The entire parable is about this one idea, the emptiness of religion to save. That's it. Listen, you Pharisees among us, That's a little offensive to some of us, so let me say it this way. You faithful, good-hearted, generous, 
loving moms, dads, church-attending folks who give and serve and volunteer and join teams and go on mission trips and love one another and serve and do all that you and every sinner in this world gets in the exact same way. The resurrection of Jesus. That's it. When it comes to how we are made righteous, what gives us a foothold, what holds us up is not church attendance. It's not fasting. It's not giving. It's not praying. It's not following the principles of scripture. It is only because one day Jesus stood at the entrance of our tomb when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and spoke our name and said, come out. That's it. It is not all the stuff the Pharisee did. And he was a good man. That's the sting of this parable. It's supposed to sting us. He was a good man. We like to think of this Pharisee in this story as an arrogant, prideful hypocrite. Then we can say, well, I'm not an arrogant, prideful, and a hypocrite. So this parable must be for other arrogant, prideful Christians, not good Christians like me. No, 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 no. He was a faithful, upright, good man. And we like to think of this publican, this tax collector, as a humble, repentant, sorry for his sins, gentle soul. Not necessarily. I mean, he more than likely returned to his former way of life once he confessed. Jesus is drawing a contrast between two men, two extremes. One ultra-religious, stand-up, good guy. Anybody in the world would love to have him join our church, date our daughters, watch our kids. And one ultra-greedy, selfish, bad guy, one you would probably avoid if at all possible. Jesus is drawing a distinction between two kinds of people, one on this side, one on that side. And you know what he says? We all fit in here somewhere. Whether you are that good or whether you are that bad, you are somewhere in the middle of all of this. Even if you are a good, confident, faithful, religious person who goes to church every single weekend, or a sorry, ashamed, broken sinner filled with regret who only shows up to confess, grace is what lets both of these people in. And grace is the only thing that keeps them in. Remember, this parable is spoken to a religious crowd more than to an irreligious crowd. He's addressing the church in this parable more than the pagan, the Christian more than the sinner. Why? Because we, we pastors, we teachers, we worship leaders, we volunteers, we good, faithful Christian men and women, we are the ones who lose sight of grace quickly. We begin thinking somehow we deserve it. We've earned it. We are better than they are. We are what's right with our nation and our churches. They are what's wrong with our nation and our churches. Know this. 
This parable is a mirror to the religious crowd. It forces Pharisees and teachers of the law to see themselves, their righteousness, their, their faithfulness. It forces them to take a look at it. It forces them to say, you know what, you're right. I do think I am what's right with this world. Now, the reason I began this message was with, you know, what if there was no judgment after death? What if no matter what you did, you were no more righteous, or no matter what you did, you were no less righteous? And if I gave you 10 free sins, you know, you could go out and do whatever. Some of you are going to hold me to that. Where, where are my sins, Scott? Where are my sins? The reason I began this whole little speech today with that is to uncover how you see yourself and how you see others. Just, just follow along with me. I'm going to be finished in just a minute. Just, just follow along. What if the tax collector, after his prayer, now I'm going to ask you to really look deep, and then we're going to pray in a minute, and you're going to go out of here, and you're going to have all your questions answered. Everything's going to be super clear. You're just going to get it all, okay? It's just going to be just a easy breezy, all right? What if the tax collector goes home after this prayer that he prays, and he lives the exact same way? No change whatsoever. And what if, what if he returns to the temple next week with the same attitude, the same sorrow, the same speech, and he goes home again justified? What if there is little to no change in the tax collector? And what if God gives him the same, if not more, than you? Would you be okay with that? Don't look at me like, well, I... I guess I would. No, you wouldn't. Nobody would except the tax collector. Don't tell me that you are a faithful Christian who shows up to church, who joins teams, who gives your money, who goes on trips, who does everything you can to love people, and then some sorry, I'm using your language, some sorry sinner comes into the church last minute, cries, says he's sorry, walks out, and he gets everything that you get, if not more. And then he comes back the next week after doing the same thing again all week long, walks into the church, they sing his favorite song, he cries again, and he goes home at the end of that service just as justified, if not more, than you. And he does it week after week after week. If that were true, are you okay with it? That's the sting of the parable. Somehow we want to think that we deserve it, and he doesn't. Look at that life he's living. I give, he doesn't. I show up, he doesn't. I vote, he doesn't. I stand for righteousness, he doesn't. I'm moral, she's not. I stand for life, she doesn't. I deserve blessings. That's the sting of the parable. Can we make it more uncomfortable and then we're going to go? Okay? More uncomfortable. Two people walk into church one Sunday. The first one is a dedicated, generous, and faithful volunteer. One who works hard, raises his family well, pays his taxes, stands for traditional marriage, adopted two babies, and is pro-life. The other man only shows up to church every other Easter 
and maybe a Christmas here and there. He is liberal, pro-choice, wants to limit the purchasing of guns, promotes acceptance of men and women who are transgender, has no issues with people sleeping with both men and women, and currently doesn't have a job. And after the worship and message, the conservative feels emotional that his life is so blessed. And he prays and says something like this, God, I thank you for loving me and bringing me to you. I I thank you that you gave me a father who taught me right from wrong and showed me the importance of hard work and loving my family. And I give my money to you because you're so generous to me. And and I attend church because this is your house. And I fight for what I believe is right because someone must or we're going to lose what's most precious. And God, I thank you that I'm I'm not like this other man over here who seems so confused about a lot of things in life. And he doesn't even realize how much he's hurting himself and hurting our nation. Thank you for teaching me better. Amen. And the other guy at the end of the message feels ashamed that he hadn't been to church in so long. And he also realizes he probably needs to get a few things right and some things sorted out morally. He he doesn't know how to pray. The only thing he knows to say is, uh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of messed up. I'm a little confused. If you would, please help me because I'm in a mess right now. Now, I, I, I'll be honest. I can't, I can't promise that I'm going to do a whole lot better. I don't even know if I'll show up to church a whole lot more. I'm not used to all this. But I'll try. But no matter what, I just want you to know I am not becoming like these people. And then a voice comes from heaven, and God says, I've heard the prayers of the liberal man, and I forgive him for everything he's ever done wrong. And that's it. The parable ends. See how clear that is? See, didn't I make that more clear? Or maybe a better way of saying is the parable sets a trap waiting for the unsuspecting to fall in. And here it is. (laughs) Please listen, and we're going to go in just a moment. I only had one shot today, so I'm putting it all in here. If what I just read to you, if the little story that I just read makes you upset and makes you want to say, that's unfair, then you, my friend, are the Pharisee in the parable. And if you like the fact a lot of religious conservative people sitting in this room right now watching online are the Pharisees in the parable, and you kind of get a little joy out of the fact that I just put it on some of the conservatives, you, my friend, had just become the Pharisee. Do you see, anytime we think, God, I thank you, I'm not like them. I am what's right in this world, we're caught. Every single time. The trap is set. How are you going to act? 
I just thank you, God, that I'm not like them. You're caught. Every time. Do you have any ideas how many times I've sat in church and got caught in this? Do you have any idea how many times I've watched the news and got caught in this? Do you have any idea how many times I've read a post on Facebook and got caught in this? Do you have any idea how many times I've seen someone walk down the street and got caught in this? Any idea how somebody's pulled up beside me at a traffic light and they might have had a certain kind of music playing and I got caught in this? Do you have any idea how sometimes I've listened to sermons or read other people's posts about Scripture and got caught in this? I just thank you, God. I am not like them. You know what? I might have a lot of problems in my life, but at least I don't have those problems. Woo, thank you, God. I just got caught in this. Anybody follow what I'm saying? Like two or three sinners in the room? Anybody? So, let me, let me ask you. Some of you thought you were coming to like this Fourth of July service and you were getting out early. No way. No way. <laughs> this is a mousetrap. I caught you. Yeah, we got you. You're here. Yeah. So here's the question. Where do you find yourself? Here, here's a great way of asking the question. Don't, don't answer it out loud. Just don't even look at your husband or wife or friend or ex or whoever else is in the room. Just ask yourself this in private. Am I what's right with the world? Am I what's wrong with the world? There's a lot about how you see yourself and how you see others. Do you assign people into categories? Would you go home at the end of the service? I'm going to pray in just a moment. You're going to get out of here. Are you going to go home today justified or judged? Great questions. Great questions. Well, Scott, what should I do? <laughs> I don't know. What should you do? I don't have all the answers, but I'll tell you a few things. Stop assuming you're in and he's out. Stop it. Just stop assuming you're in and she's out. Stop assuming you're what's right with our world, and they are what's wrong. Stop labeling, stop categorizing, stop dividing, stop lifting yourself up, your family, your country, your ideas, your convictions, your beliefs, your culture, stop lifting it all above other people. It is possible, it's possible he's in and you're out. Maybe there are things you just don't know about her. Maybe start thanking God instead for such a long, spacious table where a whole lot more people are in than you initially thought. And I promise you, if we walked around that way, 
And instead of thanking God that we're not like others, but we just thank God that we're even in. If we just stop walking around and thinking, boy, I'm sure glad the world isn't made up of a bunch of people like that. If you just start saying, God, I just thank you. He's my brother. She's my sister. I just thank you that we're all in this thing called the kingdom that is so much bigger than I can even imagine. It is so much more, your grace is so much greater than I can even comprehend. You have forgiven me for things that I didn't even know I did wrong. You sustain me when I think somehow, you know, I'm going to tell you, if I were your kid, I'd kick me out of the house. But you let me in even after curfew, night after night after night. I thank you that your blood is so cleansing that it washed up a mess like me. And God, the truth is, if everybody in this room knew what was in my head all the time, if everybody in this room knew all the unforgiveness in my heart, if all the people in here knew the hatred sometimes that I have felt and the anger sometimes that I've had, if they knew the greed that courses through me sometimes, the gossip that falls out of my lips, the hypocrisy when I lift my hands and worship, but it looks good, so I go for it. The fact that I don't even want to give money, but I do because I'm supposed to. God, if everybody in this room knew what was really going on in my marriage, what was really going on in my finances, what was really going on in my life, <laughs> they would probably say, I'm what's wrong with the world. I just, I just thank you for the table that's so big that even I can sit down. I'm telling you, everything would change. Father, these parables are so rich. They're so challenging. They're so upside down. Oh, no wonder at the end of these parables, sometimes people just walked away speechless. Sometimes people walked away angry. There were times when, Jesus, when you stopped teaching, they wanted to throw you off a cliff. Sometimes when you got finished teaching, some people just didn't walk with you anymore because they thought they understood religion and you flipped it upside down and they just said, I'm done with this. And Father, here we are 2,000 years later diving into these short stories and they're just so filled with richness and so filled with truth. You force us to look ourselves in the mirror. You force us to take a long, hard look at who we are. And rather than reducing other people, we elevate other people. Rather than elevating ourselves, we reduce ourselves to where other people are. And Father, if you reduce those who elevate and you elevate those who reduce, God, I think I'd rather just reduce myself. Because I'd rather you elevate me your way than me elevate myself. God, may we look around this room and see different kinds of people who are at different places spiritually. May we walk down the sidewalk. May we drive down the road and just thank you that the table is so big that a whole lot more people than we ever thought are sitting there. 
And you're so gracious that even we get to sit down. God, open our eyes. Open our hearts. Help us to see truth that will set us free. And may we go around and freely and abundantly and generously pass out grace and pass out love and pass out hope in this messed up, divided, painful world we're living in. There is still good news in the gospel. May we give it away freely in the name, the name that saves and redeems and heals and makes whole. The name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.